Well, good morning and Merry Christmas. My name is Michael Lopes. I have the privilege of serving as the pastor of Adult Ministries. And if you're joining us for the first or second time, you may be asking, where is the senior pastor? He just led us a few moments ago before the Lord in prayer. And he has graciously allowed some of us to present the beautiful word of God. And he is not only a gracious and loving man, he's also an equipper of the saints. So that's why you'll see a few of us in the next few weeks. And then, Lord willing, in January, he will be up here. So pray for him as he rests, as he prepares for the next series, and as he does all that he does, which he does a lot. And no doubt he is praying for you and for I in his closet, his quiet place. Merry Christmas. It is a phrase that can be said in many languages. Just go to Google Translator and you can pull up a variety of languages I didn't even know existed. So this morning we are going to expand our knowledge. We're going to have a test to see how much you know. So what I'm going to do, what we're going to do here is we're going to, behind me, put up Merry Christmas in a language. See if you can pronounce it and say which language it's from. So we'll do a test one right now. So. <laughs> I'm looking, by the way, I've not been up here before looking at those screens. I thought they would pop up there. Now I'm gonna look back a little bit. All right, next, next one. See, I gave an easy one. I gave an easy one. Next one. German, that's right, it's German. I can't even pronounce it, it's too hard for me. Next one. French, I figured enough people around here had French and would know that beautiful language. How do you say it, by the way? Greek, our senior pastor's wife, you got it right, absolutely. <laughs> Greek. Yes, I knew a family, a Norwegian family would be in this group today. Norwegian. Portuguese. I love it. Absolutely. Wait, what, what kind of Chinese? Next one. It's simplified, folks. Last one. Maybe my favorite way to say it. I'd love to be there. It's a great place. You know, those, those are fun, and I love to hear some of the pronunciations. But the best way to say Merry Christmas, I think we would all say, is from the heart. The best way to hear it is from someone who really understands. Someone who is full of gratitude. It's easy to say Merry Christmas and just kind of walk by, you know, like, hey, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas. But someone who has been captured by the essence, by the reality. I think of George Bailey and It's a Wonderful Life. You know, he's running through the town as he realizes his second chance, screaming Merry Christmas to everything and everyone. And then I think of Scrooge. After getting visited from all the spirits, 
He has a change of heart. And he's, Merry Christmas. He screams it. He's excited. He understood. This morning, we're going to be in Luke chapter 2, verses 25 through 35. And we're going to see a man at the first Christmas who got it. His name is Simeon. Simeon means God hears or God heard. I think it's appropriate with his life. Starting at verse 25, it says this. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he'd seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is to be opposed. And a sword will pierce your own soul also, so that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. When, I re when you read this passage, a few things jump out. At least they did to me. One was that Simeon was devout and righteous. We hear a, a few verses back of two people who were righteous, as Luke writes, and it's Zechariah and it's Elizabeth. They're righteous. And he says of them that they were blameless in the way they lived their lives. That means they, they conformed their lives to the scriptures, to what they had, and they effort to live it out because they had put their faith their hope, their trust in the living God. They knew his steadfast love and they began to walk in that ways. So he's devout and righteous. So we get this picture that he's walking blamelessly in the ways of God. He's also attuned to the Holy Spirit. Three times the Spirit is mentioned. It was upon him, it led him, and it spoke to him. And he was responsive. It says... Um, that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. When I read that, I thought, mm, what does that mean exactly? I've read it many times, but never really researched it. Kind of 
Honestly, it's kind of strange to my ears. The consolation, kind of like a consolation prize. Then I began to research it, and I found out it means comfort. So it's waiting for the comfort of Israel. And I was like, ah, I still don't get it. So then I did some more research. And then I said, ah. I can imagine if I was in Israel on that day in Jerusalem when Simeon had made that proclamation, had seen the consolation of Israel, I would have said, what are you waiting for? What, what is this consolation about? And he would have sat me down on a step leading into the temple. And he would have said something like this. Oh, rookie, how much you need to learn. You know, our scriptures talk about that we are in distress. We are a people, Jews and Gentiles. We are in trouble. We hurt. We have tears. We have fears. You know, from day one, from the beginning of time in our existence, God knew we needed a comfort because we became treacherous. We rebelled, and fear entered our hearts. Enmity, animosity began to reign. And all that God had created began to turn south and did a 180. And God knew that we needed comfort. So he addressed our need when he told that ancient liar, that ancient foe, that deceiver of all men, that one day he would be defeated. Not just him, but his program. His program of separating man from God and man from man. This hostility would one day come to an end and peace would be as abundant as the mighty Mississippi, the River Jordan. And God continued to give us promises like this. He spoke to Abraham and said, through him, all the nations would be blessed. He spoke to, through David and said, through you, a king shall reign forever. So we saw this promise coming in a faint outline. But then he began to speak through the prophets of this comfort. <laughs> oh, and the picture began to to be painted in our minds. It's unbelievable. It blows the mind when you hear the comfort that he's bringing. When you read this, you read a prophet like Isaiah, and he says, one day your warfare will be ended. One day your iniquity will be pardoned. One day I'm sending someone to turn your mourning, your sorrow into gladness, your ashes into beauty. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to teach you. We're going to enjoy fellowship together. This is mind-blowing stuff, oh, rookie. So you don't see the distress you're in, not often enough. You live in a comfortable place, by and large. 
But if you knew oppression, if you knew fear like we know it, you would look for that comfort often. If you knew what it was like to have rulers who could go one way or the other with the Lord, to honor him and to love him or to reject him outright. Those who love him, we get a bit of prosperity, a bit of peace. Those who reject him, we find treachery and treason filling the land. It comes in kings and prophets. It comes in businessmen. It comes in the greedy. It comes in all ways, this treachery, this treason. And yet for bits of time, for little bits of island, the Lord's given us peace and comfort to tell us, to give us a foretaste of what it shall be like. So when you're not living in continual oppression, continual fear, it's easy to forget you need to be comforted. But I have not forgotten that. I have been looking forward to it as I read about it more and more and more. And you would do well to do the same. I imagine that would be what Simeon and I would talk through. I'm sure he'd have much more to tell me. I'm sure he would tell me about the the time in between the Testaments of the Maccabees and how a family had risen up to give peace and prosperity. And though they experienced a taste of it, they saw blood, bloody warfare time and time again. They saw treacherous murders. It was a horrific time. So for people to be waiting for the comfort of Israel is not a surprise. When you begin to go back and see, put yourself in their situation. title of this sermon is A Thrill of Hope. Hope does bring thrill. Hope rightly placed brings thrill. I know when, when I was growing up, I was a big Lakers fan. Magic Johnson, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, James Worthy, Byron Scott, Mike Schmirk. No one knows who Mike Schmirk is, but if you're a Lakers fan, you do. And I remember we had hope that they would win the championship. They would beat the Celtics year in and year out. And when they did, oh, it was joyous. And when they lost, it was pretty heartbreaking. But hope rightly placed, hope rightly placed will not disappoint. And it will bring great thrill like it brought to Simeon. Would you guys pull up the sub points for me, please? The next one, please. I'm going to give them all three to you right now. That way we can... Devotion to the Lord produces hope. Pro... Devotion to the Lord produces... Is it on? Devotion to the Lord produces discernment. That's the second one. And devotion to the Lord produces thrill. That's what we can see in the life of Simeon.
Devotion to the Lord produces hope because it means that we are spending time with the Lord. We're being shaped and molded by Him. We do that as we read this, pick up and read the Scriptures. Do you know Simeon quotes at least six Scriptures in these short verses? He knew the Scriptures. He was devout. He knew the ways of God. He knew the promises of God. And it gave him hope. The first line of the first song, Ah, says, for every tear there is a promise. I can tell you, he knew the promises of God. He knew the comfort that was on the way. And it gave him hope. It gave him hope. We need to be a people who spend time with the Lord. There's so many things that, that call, that clamor for our, our devotion. And we've got to be diligent to protect the heart and keep devoted to the Lord. And we do that, by and large, by spending time with Him. By being in His Word and letting it transform us. Letting it build within us. Giving us the mindset that the Lord has. Devotion to the Lord produces discernment. Again, I said three times it's mentioned the Holy Spirit. It was upon him, it spoke to him, and it led him. How can you know the promptings, the leading of the Spirit, unless you're in the Scriptures, unless you know the mind and the heart of God? Some years ago, I had done a family wrong. I was rude to them. I was really rude. I was, and most of that was directed at, at the wife. I was wrong, completely wrong in my actions. The wife and I, we reconciled really quickly. She forgave me. We moved on. The husband, he was, his wife been hurt. And he was upset, and that, that gripped him. And it was in the process of two years before we reconciled. I remember sending a letter. I remember making a phone call, and communication was shut off. And it was in, the, it was in the summer. It was June, July. And I hadn't made any attempts for quite a while, to be honest with you. I just thought, just going to let it lie, and we'll see what comes about. And I felt the prompting of the Spirit to say, reach out. I was like, no, no, I've tried it. I've, I've, I've tried. I, no, it's not going to work. Reach out. And I kept putting that off. <laughs> and I remember I was sitting on my patio, and it was strong. And I thought, okay, I got a call. So I made the phone call. It was awkward. I go, hey, it's Michael. Do you want to get together and work through this? And he goes, I do. Almost two years had gone by before we had really had any kind of conversation whatsoever. He goes, the Lord has been teaching me. I've seen his grace. And I never forget, he said, I've seen it, how it's been working through my wife. I was like, oh. I wouldn't have known to keep calling him unless I'd been in the scriptures that says, make peace 
with everyone, especially the family of God. Be good to everyone. Forgive. Move on. Do all you can do to keep the unity. If I had forsaken the scriptures, for, forsaken my devotion, I could have justified everything. I tried three times, sent a letter, made a phone call, he didn't respond, eh, it's on him. Devotion makes us sensitive to the spirit. And finally, devotion to the Lord produces thrill. There's nothing like, nothing like having a relationship with the living God and seeing him work in you and through you and for you. That's what Simeon was. He saw what the Lord was doing in the future. And as we spend time with the Lord, we realize it's not just the past. We have a future, a great future, great promises. Jesus says, and the sermon, what we could say, the Sermon on the Mount, he says, those who mourn shall be comforted. The meek shall inherit Chick-fil-A. Okay, maybe he says the earth, but Chick-fil-A is close enough. Jesus says that if you endure with him, if you walk with him, you will reign with him. That's incredible. We get a reign with the living God. Side by side. What? Me? Paul says, do you not know you will judge the earth, the world? I have a hard time judging what to get on my burger sometimes. But God is doing a work to make me and you to make us capable of such work. Incredible. He promises a new body. I'm standing up here probably with a torn rotator cuff. I've got an ankle that is <laughs> giving me lots of problems. My body is shutting down. And I'm not even 50 yet. I look forward to a new body. One that does not have the effects of, of sin disease and no longer any death to come it shall be defeated as well one day these are the promises ahead of us they help us not to get comfortable and begin to be devoted to something else there's so many things that are clamoring for your your attention so many things clamoring for your heart it could be a 401k retirement it could be fame. It could be somebody you want to put a ring on. It could be children. There's a lot of things clamoring for something to put them first and foremost, or even just give them a little bit more devotion. But devotion to Christ means that we give him everything. He's first and foremost. Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me daily. It's everything. You can't serve two masters. You can't serve both God and money. You've got to be devoted wholeheartedly to the Lord. And if you do, if you do, you'll have great hope, great discernment, and great thrill.
Not only in this Christmas time, by the way, but in all of your life. In the book, A Christmas Carol, there's a scene that plays out well, gives us a good illustration of what happens when an idol, when something else grips our heart other than Jesus. After visiting, during his visit with the ghost of Christmas past, Ebenezer is confronted with the reality that an idol has removed him from the love of his life. He's to see what happened years ago between he and a young lady. And here's the conversation that he hears. It matters little, she said softly, to you very little. Another idol has displaced me. And if it can cheer and comfort you in time to come, as I would have tried to do, I have no cause to grieve. What idol has displaced you? Scrooge asked. A golden one. This is the even handed dealing of the world, he said. There is nothing on which it is so hard on as poverty. And there is nothing it professes to condemn with such severity as the pursuit of wealth. You fear, too, you fear the world too much, she answered gently. All your other hopes have merged into the hope of being beyond the chance of its reproach. I have seen your nobler aspirations fall off one by one until their master passion gain engrosses you. Have I not? That's the danger of being devoted to something else other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Our nobler aspirations, our Christ-likeness begins to fall off one by one as we pursue another master. So may this Christmas season, may the Lord help us be fully devoted, fully devoted to him, hanging on to the promises, hanging on to the comfort that he has so long ago promised us. That comfort would not have come by any other way, but by the death of Jesus Christ. And this candle over here, we remember his first coming. And by this remembrance, we declare until he comes again, his death. It's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful gift he's given us, the act to remember. It helps us to be satisfied. It helps us to be a people full of gratitude as we come to the table to remember. So before we take and eat and drink, I want to give you a moment just to spend with the Lord. Remembering, giving him thanks, whatever you and the Lord must do together now.
On the night he was betrayed, the Lord took the bread and gave thanks. He broke it and said, This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take and eat. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup. And after he blessed it, he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this when you drink it in remembrance of me. Because of his death for us, we can remove all fear, we can remove all treachery, all treason from our lives, from our fellowship. And you guys do it well as we're growing together. You give to the deacons fund. You help one another. May the Lord be praised for his great comfort.